Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. We'll be in chapters 18 and 19 today. This is the reading of God's Word. The Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, will have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They will eat the Lord's fire offerings. That is their inheritance. Although Levi has no inheritance among his brothers, the Lord is his inheritance as he promised him. This is the priest's share from the people who offer a sacrifice, whether it is an ox, a sheep, or a goat. The priests are to be given the shoulder, jaws, and stomach, or internal organs. You are to give him the first fruits of your grain, new wine, and fresh oil, and the first sheared wool of your flock. For the Lord your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes to stand and minister in his name from now on. When a Levite leaves one of your towns in Israel where he was staying and wants to go to the place the Lord chooses, he may serve in the name of the Lord his God like all his fellow Levites who minister there in the presence of the Lord. They will eat equal portions besides what he has received from the sale of the family estate. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. No one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire, practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, practice sorcery, cast spells, consult a medium or a spiritist, or inquire of the dead. Everyone who does these acts is detestable to the Lord. And the Lord your God is driving out the nations before you because of these detestable acts. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Though these nations you are about to drive out listen to fortune tellers and diviners, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. Then the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. 
But the prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. When the Lord your God annihilates the nations whose land he is giving you, so that you drive them out and live in their cities and houses, you are to set apart three cities for yourselves within the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You are to determine the distances and divide the land the Lord your God is granting you as an inheritance into three regions so that anyone who commits manslaughter can flee to these cities. Here is the law concerning a case of someone who kills a person and flees there to save his life, having killed his neighbor accidentally without previously hating him. If, for example, he goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings the axe to chop down a tree, but the blade flies off the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, that person may flee to one of these cities and live. Otherwise, the avenger of blood in the heat of his anger might pursue the one who committed manslaughter, overtake him because the distance is great, and strike him dead. Yet he did not deserve to die, since he did not previously hate his neighbor. This is why I am commanding you to set apart three cities for yourselves. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your fathers and gives you all the land he promised to give them, provided you keep every one of these commands I am giving you today and follow them, loving the Lord your God and walking in his ways at all times, you are to add three more cities to these three. In this way, innocent blood will not be shed, and you will not become guilty of bloodshed in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But if someone hates his neighbor, lies in ambush for him, attacks him, and strikes him fatally, and flees to one of these cities, the elders of his city are to send for him. Take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood, and he will die. Do not look on him with pity, but purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood, and you will prosper. Do not move your neighbor's boundary marker, established at the start in the inheritance you will receive in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. One witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness testifies against someone accusing him of a crime, The two people in the dispute are to stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and judges in authority at the time. The judges are to make a careful investigation. And if the witness turns out to be a liar who has falsely accused his brother, you must do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from you. Then everyone else will hear and be afraid. 
and they will never again do anything evil like this among you. Do not show pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. You are listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. Pastor Wood is a popular speaker for family and marriage retreats, conferences, and pro-life fundraisers. If you are planning an event, a retreat, or conference, and would like to invite Pastor Wood to speak or teach, please visit WVR.org and fill out our speaker request form. At this site, you'll also find over a dozen books authored by Pastor Wood and his wife, Susan. Again, please visit WVR.org today. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is What's well, a remarkable mixture of statutes, is it not? Folks, we're just looking at two chapters right now. If you really want to have fun, read the whole book of Deuteronomy straight through. And you will see that God in his wisdom and mercy gave his people instructions about all kinds of things. And if you have an eye for history and you have some knowledge of the law, you will also recognize that many of the principles that have been the bedrock of Western civilization are in fact drawn from the teaching here in Deuteronomy. God's word forms the basis for good law. The first piece of instruction we look at is what the Levites are supposed to get. The Levites are not supposed to have any of the land as their land. Now, they can be given a place to live, that's fine, but they're living in an area that belongs to the people of that tribe where they are living. It seems like kind of a raw deal for the Levites, unless you read what God says they have instead. God says that the Levites, who are to be focused on serving him, have God as their inheritance. I just want to ask you a question. I, I really, I'm very happy to own some land. I mean, I'm pleased. But if I had a choice between <clears throat> my land or God, uh, there better not be a contest, okay? God is our great treasure. You know what's going to happen to everything here? It's all going to burn. 2 Peter chapter 3. And so the Levites are told, your inheritance is God himself. And meanwhile, your provision is like, well, if we don't own land, how are we going to have a farm and an agribusiness? And God says, well, you're going to have a portion of all that is offered to me in sacrifice. And God specifies for them what portions of the animals are theirs, that the first wool that's harvested from the flock each year is theirs. And so it's not as if they were impoverished, but they didn't get their living the way that everybody else did in order that they might be able to devote their time to playing board games. No in order that they might be able to do full-time the work of ministry that God had called them to. 
Now, verse 9 and following. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. No one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire. Well, of course, we know that is absolutely heinous. That was a demonic type of worship. God repeatedly uses that as an example of the height of perversity and evil. But then look at what else it lists. Practice divination. Tell fortunes. Interpret omens. Practice sorcery. Cast spells. Consult a medium or spiritist or inquire of the dead. Anyone who does these things, God says, is detestable. Now, why would I pause and emphasize that? I don't think most evangelicals are seeking to practice divination or go consult a medium or that kind of thing. But I think we have generations, not just a generation growing up now, we have generations of people who consider themselves Bible-believing Christians who think that this stuff is all just kind of make-believe, it's not really serious, and therefore if you make your child's hero growing up, someone who practices sorcery, that's really not a problem, okay? It's no big deal. How would you feel about a series of children's books that had as the hero that the child's supposed to identify with a pimp? It's just make-believe, okay? We're not really advocating that our children make their living by prostitution, managing prostitutes, that kind of thing. We're not suggesting that. It's just make-believe. It's just fun. Would you be okay with that? How about a series of books making the hero for your child's enjoyment a pornographer? Any problem with that? I hope so. I hope you would find that absolutely repellent then why, dearly loved people, do so many of my Christian friends see no problem with their kids having the latest, greatest series making witchcraft something that isn't real, it isn't an abomination to God, it's just make-believe. It's just pretend. It's not a problem. Come on, lighten up, Pastor Wood. I mean, didn't, didn't you, as a kid, see the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I did. I'm not recommending it, but I do notice one difference. Dorothy wasn't the witch. If your kids are not taught that witchcraft is something so heinous that God says anybody who even goes to consult a medium is to be executed. If your kids aren't getting that, you're not giving them the whole truth. Now, God says this stuff is real, this stuff is evil, and you need to be sure that you don't have anything to do with it. Verse 13, you must be blameless 
before the Lord your God. Though these nations you are about to drive out, listen to fortune tellers and diviners, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do this. Don't think it's okay. Don't think it's no big deal. Astrology, fortune telling, divining, sorcery of all kinds, it is not innocent fun. Well, I just want to see what they say, okay? I won't even read the fortunes in a fortune cookie. That's, that's ridiculous. I mean, are you trying to put us under law? No, I'm trying to liberate you from getting entangled in stuff God hates. You better not want that in your life if it is offensive to God. You better just decide it is not worth it. I do not have to have that. I don't want anything to do with it. So, if you can't get your guidance from these false sources, where are you going to get guidance? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. And the fulfillment of that, there were numerous prophets in the Old Testament, but those prophets in the Old Testament all pointed to and promised the fact that God was going to send the one who would be the final prophet. And the New Testament identifies him as our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what about a false prophet? God says, you know, that is so serious, they're to be executed. Well, how do we know if it's a false prophet? God says, because if they're speaking my word, it'll happen. If they're speaking my word, it's going to be fulfilled. Because God doesn't lie and God doesn't change. God is always the same and his word is eternal. So in chapter 19, long section about cities of refuge. Much more we could say on this, but let me give you a couple of takeaways. The first is, there is... Punishment, there are painful consequences for accidentally killing somebody. This dramatically enhances the status of human life in this culture. There is no trial. It was an accident. But there's still a consequence. Now, if that's the case, do you think it would make you careful about making sure the head is on that axe securely. God teaches people to handle other people's lives with care. That's what's here. God says if you accidentally kill someone else, you're going to pay for it. Now, you don't have to pay for it with your life, but you don't get to just keep on with business as usual. But I am going to provide, God says, a place of refuge where you can go and be safe so that you don't lose your life. Now, if a person deliberately kills somebody, somebody that they hated, somebody they had it out for, they deliberately killed, and then they decide to go to the city of refuge, the people back home are to send for that person. There's to be a trial. And if that person is found guilty of deliberate, premeditated murder then that person is to pay with their life. 
God says it's very important you do this. It not, it's not just something that's okay for you to do. It is something God says a society needs to have as a punishment that doesn't denigrate the value of human life. It upholds the value of human life. God warns then about not moving a boundary marker. The verse immediately before it is, do not look on him with pity, but purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood and you will prosper. Very next verse, do not move your neighbor's boundary marker. On the one hand, we're talking life and death. On the other hand, we're just talking about taking advantage of somebody. I mean, they got plenty of land. Is it really a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Why? Because God says, I'm the one who distributed the land. I'm the one who said, this tribe gets this, this tribe gets this. There's the boundary stone. Put it down, and it stays from generation to generation to generation. God says, if you try to take advantage of somebody else, even if you think that you deserve more, if you try and do that, if you covet your neighbor's goods, or spouse, or animal, or whatever, if you covet what belongs to someone else and you try to take advantage of somebody else, God says, you're messing with me. And so even something like moving a boundary stone, I didn't take the boundary stone and hit my neighbor in the head, okay? I mean, is it really a big deal? Yes. God says, don't steal. And if you move the boundary stone, you're stealing. You're also bearing false witness. You've broken two of the commands right there, and you did it because you broke the Tenth Commandment, which is don't covet. Well, uh, you know, most of us don't really live in a situation where that would make a lot of sense anyway. You know, I mean, how does this apply to us? I repeat, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet. If you do something in a business deal in order to try and take advantage of somebody else through dishonesty, you're messing with God. That's a bad mistake. Don't do it. Don't do it. And finally, witnesses in court. God says, if it's he said, she said, you haven't got a case. There's got to be evidence. There's got to be more than one witness to establish anything. That's because God knows that even an eyewitness is sometimes not honest, sometimes not accurate. And so God says you need two or three witnesses in order to establish a fact in court. But you also need to recognize that there is such a thing as a malicious witness, somebody who will come to court and bear false witness, falsely accusing somebody of something. And God says you need to make a careful investigation those who are leaders need to make a careful investigation. And if it turns out this person is lying and falsely accusing someone, then God says, whatever that person wanted done to that person is what needs to be done to them. Boy, that'd kind of make you careful about what you said in court, wouldn't it? What's the goal? The goal is justice. God gives us this law not to enslave us, but to free us from all the mess that is created when we sin. 
And all of us fall short. And that's why we need the one who perfectly fulfilled the law and then offered his life as the sacrifice that all these sacrifices pointed to. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, your sins are paid for because God loves you. And I implore you, respond by saying thank you with your life. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.